Hi, everyone. Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Andrea Pearson, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Lindsay Baroker. And I'm Joe Lello. And today we are interviewing one of my longtime author friends, Rachel Anderson. She is a clean romance author, and I've already said this, a good friend of mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> Rachel is a USA Today bestselling author, and she's the mother of four and is pretty good at breaking up fights or at least sending guilty parties to their rooms. And by the way, your bio makes me laugh. <laughs> she can't sing, doesn't dance, and despises tragedies, but she recently figured out how yeast works and can now make homemade bread, which she is really good at eating and does not look like it. <laughs> oh, pardon me. <laughs> you can read more about her and her books online at rachelreneeanderson.com. Um, Rachel was on my committee back when I was the executive director for Indie Author Hub. And she was like, I would be like, I'd call her and be like, hey, you got to talk some sense into me. Like she was so level-headed, so calm about everything and just really made, we had really stressful stuff going on and she just made everything so much better. And um, I've been looking forward to interviewing her on a podcast for like 10 billion years because she's been very successful at her indie author books. And I'm just, I'm really excited to dig into all of that. Um, welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you for having me. I'm going to be here. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're going to go ahead and I'm just going to hand things off to Lindsay to ask the first question about background transitioning from traditional to indie, et cetera. All right. Nice to talk to you, Rachel. Um, it's like uh, you've been publishing for more than 10 years, it looks like. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got there and what your path has been like? Uh, yeah. I um, The first book I wrote, I just, I knew nothing about publishing or anything. I um, looked into different publishers and finally submitted to one or two of them and was accepted and published, you know, with a smaller company. Um, way back, I don't even know when it was, 2005 maybe. And um, yeah, I published three books with them. And then I realized <laughs> there wasn't a lot of money to be had in publishing. And I was spending all this time writing. And I had no say in my cover designs or you know, the blurbs they write to go along with it or, or my rights, you know, I, I didn't love selling my rights and giving those up. And so I don't know, I just knew something needed to change. I wasn't super happy where I was at. And so I looked into, I did a lot of research on both ends, you know, going to a different publisher, um, you know, going more national or um, indie publishing. And I talked to lots of friends who had done either or, or both. And I finally decided that to give indie publishing a try. So my fourth book, I published on my own. And um, ever since then, I've loved it. And and I've just kept at it. So, so yeah, it was a good choice for me. That's good. In 2005, the uh, indie scene wasn't too happening. When was no, it that it you wasn't. actually switched over? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I switched over um, kind of at the right time. So I, yeah, it was kind of just coming onto the scene like a year or two before I switched over. Actually, Andrea was one of the ones who I talked to a lot about it. And um, she switched over before I did. And, and she gave me a lot of help as I was going through the process. So, so did you have a, a fan base kind of built up from those first few books or were you, did you feel like you were starting from scratch with, <laughs> with everybody else? No, I mean, yeah, no, that was one of the good things about starting traditionally. You know, I, I developed a little bit of a fan base and, um, 
I was grateful for the fan base that I did have. So that helped me. It helped me get my feet wet. But most importantly, it got me to know authors, quite a few authors um, that taught me so much, um, including Andrea and so many others. And um, I also did some collaborative projects you know, way back when I first started indie publishing and that helped me as well, I think. So, you know, a lot of different things contributed to it, I think. So. Plus you also write really good books. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I, I try, I work really hard to try to produce a professional product. So. Okay. So which has been, I've, and I think I know, I mean, there is between two books. I know which one was your biggest book in the beginning. That was Reluctant Bachelorette, right? Uh-huh. Um, has um, um, Tanglewood, has that one? I mean, which is your most successful book so far? Um, I, it's, it's hard to say because um, I started doing KU probably with my with my first contemporary series that I wrote, the um, Prejudice Meets Pride series, that one. And um, so once I started doing KU, cells were different. And and as KU kind of took off, I found that cells overall went down and it was the lens through KU that started to make do better. So it's really hard to say what's... Because I feel like I've marketed all my books so differently. But yeah, uh, my first books in all my series have been really successful. You know, um, Prejudice Meets Pride really took off and um, and The Fall of Lord Drayson really took off. And that one actually got me in the door of foreign, um, some foreign deals. So I had a publisher from Hungary contact me about that one. And I ended up signing with an agent with Bookcase Literacy. And she's sold foreign rights on, on my historical fiction books to like five or six countries. So that's been awesome. So yeah, but it's mainly been the first books in my series that have done better. And I think, I think most series are that way. So. Yeah. And, and that, so that, what do you credit the success to? I mean, your, your agent, what else? Um, just, I don't know, uh, just a unique storyline. Like The Fall of Lord Drayson was uh, more unique to that time period. A lot of people liked the storyline and um, word of mouth sells and, you know, BookBub featured it. And it, it just kind of took off not long after I published it and stayed pretty high in Amazon's rankings for a while. And then Amazon even... Um, they offered me like a, I can't remember what it's called. Like a, they they put me in a certain category for three months. Was that this when they approached you and they're like, you need to have your book in KU during this time when we may or may not promote you? No, that was a different. That was they've done that to me a couple of times, and that kind of promotion didn't really do much um, for my books. But there's another thing where they. Um, Gosh, why can't I remember the name of it? Um, I just got an email from them that said, sign up, you know, for three months and we will, yeah, you had to be in KU and only in KU. And um, we'll put you in this certain... Kindle Daily Deal? Was that what it was? Kindle Daily, yeah. No, it wasn't that. (laughs) It was a solid three months. And it was, I think, uh, I don't know. 
Um, I need to go do some. Anyway, um, it, they kept it in three months, and then at the end of the three months, they paid you like a like I got five hundred dollars for putting it in this. It's like a different type of library or something. And but being in that is what um, really helped my rankings. Like for those three months that I was in there, my rankings were super high, and and the lens were super high. So. And I wasn't actually aware that you got approached by a, Hung a Hungarian publisher. When did that happen? Um, it wasn't, it was about five or six months after the fall of Lord Dresden came out. So four years ago, three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That one is like one of my favorites of yours. It, I've never oh, laughed that much while reading. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not huge into Regency romance, but it just really hit me. So, um, all right. Okay. Joe, you can go ahead now. Sorry. Okay, okay. Uh, earlier, you mentioned that you had worked in some collaborative projects. Uh, first off, what sort of collaborative projects? Um, I've done different series. Um, I think the first one I did was uh, just a multi-author series. We each kind of did a book and contributed it and formed a series as a whole. I've um, done... Uh, a compilation where we've each contributed like an already published novel and made like a big book with like six novels in one kind of a thing and marketed that. Um, you know, we tried to get it. Um, I was approached by Heather Moore for that one. Um, she got some more well-known authors and we tried to just kind of get our names out there a little bit better. And, um, and yeah, I've done a, um, a couple of anthology stories that I contributed to some anthologies, just short stories, that sort of thing. Um, overall, how much effort did the collaborations require and do you think they were worth it? Um, you know, it's so hard to know what's worth it or not because you never really know <laughs> what's the thing that makes a difference. But, um, but yeah, I, I thought they were worth it. Um, I, you know, for, I know a lot of reviewers said, oh, I've never read this author before, you know, so I know I introduced some new people to my books. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of effort, you know, trying to coordinate um, between all the writers, all the stories, trying to make sure they, they went together well. We did this one um, matchmaker series where it was 12 books. So there were 12 authors and we released one book a month throughout the year. And um, they all had this common character and different, you know, characters didn't know different stories, completely different stories, but one common kind of more mystical character in all of the books. And, um, and so that one, I worked with, with two others and we kind of headed up that, um, that project. And it was a lot of work. I designed most of the covers for that and um, did a lot of book formatting for that one. And, um, yeah, so I would say though, that my collaborative projects, those books that I put in collaborative projects, the sales have not been as high as my own books. So they're not, they weren't as well selling. So I, I don't really do as much of those anymore. Um, but that's not to say there wasn't value. Like I said, you know, people find you through reading a different person and if they like you then you've got a new fan so uh do you have any advice for authors who might want to try doing a collaboration like this 
Um, yeah, I mean, we just, you just find authors that write similar to you in, in the same genre and um, who, um, you know, who have an established fan base probably would be better, you know, than somebody who's not as well known. But I mean, that's also how not as well known people become better known. You know, in our collaborative projects, we did choose a few people um, that didn't have, um, that were kind of lower on Amazon's rankings, but we really liked how they wrote and were impressed with their um, their style. So we approached them thinking they would be good to, you know, fit in well with what we were trying to do. So I'm curious, uh, you mentioned having an agent that was selling some foreign rights for you, and that's sort of like the introvert indie author's fantasy, finding, <laughs> finding someone to do that. Uh, but I've heard it's pretty hard that agents aren't that interested in that, at least maybe now in 2020. Uh, was this a few years ago, or how did you, did they approach you, or, or do you have any advice for someone looking to sell foreign rights? <laughs> so actually, I approached her. I um, got... Over the years, I've gotten different. Every now and then, I'd get an email from a foreign publisher and who said they were interested in my book and wanted to talk about rights. And I would always do, you know, you never know if something's a scam or not these days. So I'd always do some digging. And lots of times, I can never find any information on a publisher. So I, I never really responded or it never really went anywhere. And this Hungarian publisher, when I typed their name into Google... Um, it was this bookcase literacy that popped up saying that they had signed a couple deals with them for their authors. And so I knew that it was a legitimate publisher. And so I um, read all the bios of the literacy company and I picked, um, picked her name's Mayday Diaz. She's out of Portugal. And I just emailed her and said, listen, I I've heard from this company. I've noticed your you know, bookcases made some deals with them. And um, I don't have an agent yet. I don't, you know, I don't know anything about foreign rights or what I should be doing. So I'd really like to get an agent. And um, yeah, she wrote me back and she requested my book and she read it that weekend and then called me Monday and made me an offer. And this was on the fall of Lord Drayson. And um, yeah, since that time, she's, she's sold quite a few Right. I also um, contacted a good friend who um, subscribes to, um, goodness, I can't think, the marketplace, publisher's marketplace. So she was, and I asked her, I'm like, do you know anything about this agent? Is she good? And she checked the numbers on there and she said she gets a lot of deals. So I, you know, I would definitely consider siding with her. So, so yeah, that's kind of how it worked out for me. Um, and Bookcase is awesome because they really only represent foreign rights. They see, they see um, this indie author thing taking off. So they, they mostly represent foreign rights and they represent movie rights and audiobook rights too. So they, for me, they only do my um, foreign rights right now. So I, I publish my own audiobooks through ACX. So. That's awesome. Is that the whole agency is out of Portugal or just that particular agent? No, they're actually U.S. based. Okay. She's just out of Portugal. I was like, that's like the, that's the secret is to find, a, find a foreign agent to be your foreign <laughs> language for, yeah, that thing. <laughs> so I actually didn't know she was in Portugal when I wrote her. Um, 
their main hub is California. So, so yeah, most, I think, I think Mayday is the only one who's, who's foreign, who lives out, out of the States right now. So yeah, it's worked out that way. So. Uh, it seems like a smart way to go about it for the agency to actually have someone in Europe to do European rights stuff. Yes, she um, she goes to all the like the London book fairs and handles all the stuff in European. And she's um, originally from Brazil, so so she has some connections there. So, yeah. all right. So, what are your thoughts? Um, it sounds like you've done quite a you know a few genres, subgenres of romance, but. Um, you know, Andrea said you're a clean romance author in the bio. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on that particular, I don't know if you call it its own genre or not, if, you know, it's category of romance as far as, you know, is it up and coming in 2020 or is it, is there a lot of demand? Um, you mean clean romance in particular? Right. I really have no idea. Um, I just, I just, when I started writing, I told myself, you know, I'll never write anything. I wouldn't let my daughters read. And, you know, I have my own set of ethics and morals. And so that's the reason I write clean romance. Um, And I find that there is, you know, there's not a lot of clean romance out there. So once you get your name out and you find those people who like clean romance, you definitely have a, a fan base. You know, there's a lot more erotica out there. And so I think it's harder to um, gain visibility in that. But I really, you know, I don't write in that market. So I I don't know for sure. I just know the competition is, is fiercer in that market. But um, I don't know. The way I see it is clean romance can be enjoyed by all. You know, I mean, I know there's some that that only like erotica. And, and that's what they'll choose. And that's not a big deal. So, but... I don't know. I haven't ever had a problem selling books in, in the clean market. And, um, so yeah. Yeah. I feel like Alex Newton who runs Kalytics and we had him on our old show a couple of times had mentioned a couple of years ago that maybe clean romance was kind of an up and coming thing. So I was just curious if maybe you'd seen some people being a little <laughs> burned out on, you know, everything, like every single category, having the graphic detailed stuff. Uh, it's just do curious. have a lot of reviewers that say, you know, it was refreshing to read something that I didn't have to. Yeah. So I don't know, but so I know, I know there's a market out there, but um, yeah, whether that's up and coming, I don't know. I mean, according to the movie industry, it's, it's not. So <laughs> very hard. Yeah. It's very, you don't see a lot of clean romance movies out there, but, um, but yeah. So I don't know. I'd like to hope so. That would be great. Yeah, I think I, I was p- poking around in the romance categories on Amazon, and there is actually a clean romance category on there now. But it's kind of weird because, like, I actually had like a I would call it clean romance sci-fi romance that I did last year, and I put it in there. But I was like, okay, I'm the only science fiction in the top 100 here. <laughs> I'm not sure this category is really that helpful. But um, what do you do for marketing? Do you do anything to try to find those folks that may be looking for a more PG, let's call it <laughs> PG-13 uh, romance? Um, I, I don't know. I, I have tried a lot of different marketing things over the years. And lately, you know, I just mainly focus on BookBub. That's my most effective way. Um, and I just submit to BookBub a lot. And then when I get a feature then I'll reach out to other, you know, smaller, 
you know, everyone's small compared to BookBub, but some other book promotion sites and um, kind of do a big promo with like four or five book promotion sites all at once. And um, that will that will boost my sales and ranking for a few months. So, and when I have a new book come out that comes out, that helps too. So writing is the biggest thing I think anyone can do is to continually release books. You know, a new, a new book out is the best marketing thing you can do. And um, BookBub's more likely to take one book. You know, it's, it, it's rare that they take a book they've already featured before. So, um, so yeah. That's, I don't spend a ton of time marketing, though. Like, I, I spend way more time writing and um, making sure my covers, you know, covers and just presentation and editing and it's all professional. That's kind of where I spend the bulk of my time. So, Yeah, and that's really important too, because I mean, it's kind of pointless to market if your product isn't um, where oh, yeah. it needs to be. Yeah. It's expensive too. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is. So that's why I like wait for those BookBub features because, you know, they're expensive too, but it's an expense you know you'll recoup. So yeah. It, yeah. Um, about how many novels do you have now? I think I'm, I think I'm about 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, and you've been releasing like, uh, like between two and four a year, right? So no, I, I've never released more than two a year. I, I can't. See, this is why you're like the magic <laughs> mystical unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> I can't write that fast. Yeah, yeah. Last year, I didn't even release... I didn't release one all last year. I released November of 2018 and then January of 2020. So so last year, last year I kind of needed a bit of a break and took some time. So, so yeah, I still did some promotions throughout the year that helped keep myself a little, you know, so like making something, but... Yeah. I'm just trying to figure this out. So two books a year. I mean, and they're, they are, they're very good books. I absolutely love them, but I've read a lot of other good books that I've absolutely loved and yours have always been sticky. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, something actionable. I mean, that our listeners can be like, you know, that's something that might work for me. I mean, um, I don't know. I always try to, you know, when my, when my rankings or sales start to fall, I really start trying to um, get a book bug promotion or if that fails, you know, I'll still do um, some of those smaller, you know, like book, my book cave and um, many books and um, red feather romance. You know, those are the ones I found or EMT e-reader news today. Um, those usually I can recoup my things, but any little push will help me, you know, I mean, KU gives you one free promotion a month or every three months, I guess. You can do a free book promotion. So I try to use that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, one thing about BookBub, though, is I have not, ever since I, you know, fully committed to KU, I have not been able to get like a 90, them to promote a 99 cent price book. So it's usually they'll only take the free books from me anyway. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of what I do. I just promote, you know, different books at a time. You know, I have a lot to play with now and I just keep promoting them and they give me a little boost every time. And that helps me to keep, to keep me up a little higher in the rankings. So 
So. So you just keep an eye on how things are going and then you just watch each book and then decide which one would need a little bit more of a push from the KU benefits, right? Yeah. But like right now, my contemporary books really aren't doing well at all, you know, because I haven't marketed them in quite a while. So, um, so yeah, I'm kind of just focusing more on my historicals because those are what's selling right now. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you transitioned, uh, for writing from writing standalone books to series. What prompted that transition and have you looked back? And I, I know your personal feelings about series. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, series are hard for me to write. I I feel like I'm stuck in this world. And I, after spending so much time and rereading books over and over and over, I just, I would love to work on a new story when I'm done with an old one and just kind of push that old one away and, and stop thinking about it. So, um, so yeah, it took, it took, um, uh, some commitment to commit to that first series. But once I, started marketing a series, you know, by promoting the first book for free. And then it really started to pay off in sales of the second two books. So I realized, you know, okay, this is the smarter way to go. And ever since that Prejudice Meets Pride series, I've, I've pretty much done series, you know. So it's just easier to market them. Yeah. It's, it's nice uh, in genres where series come naturally because you know congratulations the thing that comes naturally works but i know that uh particularly in romance series can be a little bit tricky and look a little bit different yeah 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 i'm always envious of people that can put a little more in their plot than you know (laughs) all right so um uh i've heard of people doing like people who don't write clean uh romance will, will sometimes do a clean or a sweet version of it where they'll just basically take a book they've already written and released and then do a re release of it where they've just made some strategic edits and to, to close a door or fade out in a scene so that nothing explicit ends up on the page. Do you think that's an effective like tactic? Do you think that produces good results? Um, I have no idea because I've never tried that. Um, but I think as long as you're clear in marketing it, it could be effective. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I think, um, I think you just have to make it clear um, that one's, you know, whatever rating and one's PG rating, because otherwise it's those readers that are very specific in what they like to read that you could get some backlash if they accidentally stumble upon like an, a more explicit book and, um, you know, not realizing that you write both. I think that's where it gets tricky. So I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, I think you either make it really clear, or maybe use like a, a a fake name or a different pen name for one genre. I don't know. So I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Uh, sort of continuing along the same thing, though. Like, uh, do readers of clean romance like readers of any genre have certain expectations of the genre? And uh, do you feel that like readers of clean romance have different expectations? of a story than just readers of a more explicit romance. Does a romance have to be structured in a specific way to sort of hit all the points for a clean romance reader? Um, yeah, I, I think, um, I think it's maybe a little harder to write clean romance just because, um, you have to engage the reader, um, through a lot of different ways. 
and there's got, you know, and, and it depends on, you know, it depends on the writing. It's really interesting. I found because I have written mostly like, um, more, um, romantic comedy type stuff, but I wouldn't, I don't know if you could classify as comedy, like, um, just fun storylines. I try to find fun storylines, but there are some books that I've written that are more dramatic than they are comedy, I guess. And my readers don't seem to love those as much. So when I, um, you know, like, uh, trying to think of an example, like this last book I wrote, or this last series I wrote, the Serendipity series, um, my first book was super fun, cute, really spunky personalities. And my second book dealt with um, rape, and um, um, a pregnancy that resulted from the rape, you know, and my readers didn't love that second book and my sales of that second book weren't as high because of what readers had come to, my readers have come to expect from me. So I'm kind of learning that even in clean romance, I've kind of developed this fan base who likes a certain style of book. and. Um, and if I want my books to sell well, I need to stick to that kind of more, you know, I don't know how to describe it, just more light, lighter stories, I guess. Whereas other authors I know write totally dramatic stories all the time, and that's what their readers love. So, you know, like Nicholas Sparks type readers. <laughs> so um, I'm learning that, that the ones that I have are different. They don't, they don't want that more dramatic, depressing story. They want something lighter. So they're like Rachel and depression don't go. No, I, <laughs> I mean, even though I dealt with those topics, I still kept it as light as possible, but they, they still didn't like it as much. So anyway, I found that really interesting. So my mom reads your books like sugar, like candy, little candy bars. And she reads books that are like yours like that. And, and I know just from talking to her, she, you know, when she's in a mood for something dramatic or whatever, she'll read my books, <laughs> something <laughs> scary. And then she'll be like, yeah, your books are too scary. I'm going back to Rachel's books. <laughs> so I mean, maybe that's what it is. Like if they're, you know, my mom, and when she's in a stress, stressed out position, when she's got too much on her plate, she doesn't want to deal with heavy topics. She wants the the more the light the the laughter the stuff that makes her you know yeah cheerful yeah i i get it and not like rape can't be cheerful yeah. but you know, know. <laughs> just kidding i know i will say that's why i like to write them when my kids were young i felt like i just needed a break i needed something light something easy something and i think that's kind of why i gravitated towards that style of writing in the beginning because that's kind of what i needed as a break and um yeah so I'm, I'm learning that, that the people who read me, that's what they want. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've talked about BookBub a little bit. What sorts of things do you think have helped you get picked up by them? Because I mean, there's no guarantee that you'll get picked no. up every time. No, in fact, I don't. I submit a lot and get turned down a lot. Um, I think just persistence is number one. You know, I think they, they let you submit one book a month and um, I think I mean, that book, and then you have to wait another book to another month to submit that same book. So, you know, you can submit multiple books a month as long as they're different ones. Um, 
I'm learning covers are important. They like a professional cover usually. And when I submit, I usually try to put a little, um, a little catchphrase at the beginning. You know how they say where you add the comments, you know, and you put, so I always put like a little catchphrase of my story to try to hook them, whoever's looking at BookBub. And then, um, and then, you know, my stats, like I, this book has so many five-star ratings on Goodreads or, you know, I'm a USA Today bestselling author, those kind of things I add in. But ever since I started doing that little um, catchphrase at the beginning, I've had a little more success, I've noticed. So, so I don't know. That's a great tip. Now I'm going to run off to BookBub and be like, <laughs> what about this book about a guy who's going to murder the woman he's in love with? <laughs> That's right. Do it. See, let me know how it works. So, Okay. Um, okay. So you've been in KU for a long time now um, and you like it there, I'm right? <laughs> I do. I really like it there. Um, have you ever had to come up with a plan for what you would need to do if you ended up having to go wide? Uh, and well, what would that plan be? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was wide in the beginning. So, you know, I still have all my, um, you know, logins for all the sites and stuff. So I could go wide. And, and when I format books, I always format them to EPUB formats. And, and um, you know, so I could go wide if I wanted to. But um, my sales were so low in the other markets. And I know it takes time to build them up. but. Um, I don't know whether I was too impatient or, or whatnot. I just didn't like it. And, and right after I converted to KU, my lens were so high that I was making way more money in KU than I had ever come close to going wide. So your lens, what did you say? Oh, well, you said your lens were so high. My lens. Oh, my lens. Like, um, yeah. Borrows, yeah, sorry. Like my glasses were so high. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, lenses. No. no that's a better that's a better term. So um yeah, and, uh, and the way I see it is, you know, like back when I was first in publishing, authors, so many authors would be like, try to get your books in as many libraries as you possibly can, you you know. And um and so that's kind of how I look at KU as one big library that I actually get paid when people uh, you know, check out my book or whatever. So I, I feel like it gets me um, a lot more exposure than, than I would if I had just stayed wide. So, yeah. Did you have any challenges going from, it sounds like you didn't have a huge fan base wide, but did you have any like upset readers, you know, why aren't you publishing on Nook anymore or Kobo or any of that? Yeah, I guess in the beginning I did. And, um, you know, I just explained to them it's, um, I would just write him back and say, you know, I've just chosen this route and you can, you can get the Amazon app on any device pretty much. And, and my books are all on Amazon. So, so yeah, that's, it, it wasn't a lot though. Um, you know, just a handful of people that contacted me, but, but yeah, that's it. So one of the challenges I'm, I'm kind of wide and I, I launched new stuff. In KU, yeah. so I, I have the newsletter. People that are like, "When is it going to be on Kobo?" And I'm like, <laughs> "It will be. It will be." I, I feel like I would probably start a brand new newsletter if I was going to go in and be exclusive to Amazon, just because it's hard to because deal with disappointment. <laughs> I know. Uh, well, it sounds like it. It works good for a lot of authors to do both. You know, go wide and just kind of rotate between all the all the different options out there. I think I just like to keep my life a little more simple. So. 
So yeah, uh, it, I don't know. I like having all my stuff in one space <laughs> and, um, yeah. And I know one time I did, um, I did a book bug promotion back when, um, I had just taken a book out of going wide and I did a book bug and one of the markets and then like one day or two days into the promotion and my lens were going like crazy. My borrow, sorry, we're going crazy. And I got this email from Amazon saying, um, we found your book in this marketplace and unless you pull it, um, unless it's down by the end of the day, we're going to, we're going to pull your promotion or whatever, or you're free. Yeah. So, so my free thing would have gotten taken off and, um, and it turns out it was, it was through Kobo, I think some distributor through Kobo that didn't get the, uh, I don't know, some miscommunication or whatever. So when I pulled off of Kobo, this distributor kept distributing it. And so, so after that, I'm just like, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep my life simple, <laughs> keep them all in one place and just worry about Amazon. So. Yeah, I think it's FNAC. It used to be like a French company that was really slow about, uh, if you took them down from Kobo, yeah. uh, taking them out of their catalog. I think everybody's a little better now, but yeah, it's, you oh, do have sure. to be careful. <laughs> we'll come I'm and let sure. you know. <laughs> I'm sure it is. So, so yeah, so, no other problems with Kobo at all. So when I use draft to digital to, um, put it up on, I think iTunes and, and Barnes and Noble in the beginning. So I don't know. Anyway. I do think they are a lot faster now, though. So that's for people well, who I'm do sure want to sure <laughs> do that. Through, I'm sure all the all the things, you know, they're constantly improving their services. So that's awesome. So I was curious, one thing that maybe just to highlight to people is interesting that you mentioned that your fan base has expectations of a certain kind of book from you. And I've had that too, where like, you're like, I want to do something different. You know? <laughs> and so that's, it's like, you're great to have a fan base, but you you do kind of feel like I have to give them what they want yeah. since they're your yeah. core for readers. So just maybe that's the time to do a pen name or something. Yeah, if you really want to experiment. <laughs> I know. I, I know. I've had this book. It's a paranormal romance. It's very YA, totally different than what I've written. And, and I have yet to, it still needs some work done on it, but I'm, I'm always like, well, why spend the money? I'm not sure how well it would do. I, I don't know. Part of me is like, maybe with this one, I would need to find a, a agent and go, you know, a national publisher route just because I have no, very little market in the white, you know, this genre. So I don't know. It's sitting on my computer because I'm not sure how I would go about marketing it. And so anyway, but yeah, I totally get it. You kind of feel a little trapped. Yeah, I guess authors who are still hoping to build that fan base are like, well, I, I could deal with having that problem. You yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, it, it sounds like we talked about that you've written in a couple different subgenres of romance, and you mentioned that your historical seems to be doing quite well right now. Uh, what have you found in the different genres as far as marketing? Are any of them easier in general? Or, or like, is historical just popular now? Or has it always been easier for you to market? Um, I don't know if historical is more popular overall. Um, and it could just be because that's what I've written these past three years. And, you know, obviously they're selling better because they're my most recent books and, and I've spent more time marketing them. But I, I think I switched to historical, um, because of, I was, 
running out of ideas for contemporary. I was just kind of tired of that genre and um and I needed a change and I felt like going to historical it would still get the clean, you know. I'm sure I lost some fans going to historical and I get readers all the time saying, When are you gonna do another contemporary story? But um I also thought, you know, historicals are more timeless. And that's kind of why one of the reasons I've been sticking to it, they don't go out of date. Like contemporaries can go out of date. You know, I look back to some of the first books I've written, you know, and the technology I've put in them and some of the, you know, fashions or whatever um, are very out of date. (laughs) They read very dated now. So I'm like, oh, at least with historicals, I won't have that issue. And you can keep marketing them for a longer time period more effectively. I don't know. That was kind of my thought process. And that's kind of why I've stayed in historicals. Plus, they've been doing well for me. So I wonder how long you have to wait before you can just change a contemporary to a historical. Just be like, yeah, oh, no, yeah. Right. It's now a period piece for the 90s. but um all right so it's a popular conception that uh, romance readers in particular are like a ravenous audience like they tend to read a lot of books whereas epic fantasy and sci-fi readers are more likely to stick with a small circle of authors and just read a new book once that author puts out a new book has that been your experience that romance readers tend to read just a lot of books oh for sure you know um they yeah they go through books like i don't know it's it's pretty amazing um, yeah, when I first got into it, I had so many people tell me that either romance or, um, thrillers were the best selling genres to write in. And, um, and yeah, I found that to be the case. I think that's why, you know, if I were to ever do anything with, um, with that YA paranormal, I mean, it's still a romance, but it's more, um, it's very different than what I've written before. That's why I feel like oh, I might go a different route with that because I don't I don't know how I would market it. Um, I don't know if I could indie publish it and it would do well with my current fan base. I I really I really don't know. But um, but yeah, I think um, in that respect I've been really lucky because romance you know readers will be like love so many different authors and um, we'll just be willing to try anything new. I think that's why maybe KU works well for me too, is because romance readers aren't afraid to, you know, try new stuff all the time. Right. And, and that also sort of, um, I guess the KU will lead into this too, but how would that affect your pricing? Like since, since your, your audience is probably buying a lot of books, does that mean that you're going to price lower or do you just rely upon KU to handle the people who wouldn't be able to afford you otherwise? Uh, yeah, my books are all priced lower, like three ninety nine is my typical price. Um, I know if you do the Amazon, like they have the little the little form in their thing that said this is where you should be pricing your book or whatever. Mine say like five ninety nine or six ninety nine, but I always found it interesting because Amazon now has their own publishing um, company, you know, Montlake Romance, and they they publish all genres, but. Um, but I followed a lot of books that were published through Montlake and Amazon themselves um, always price their books at $3.99. So I'm like, oh, well, they obviously <laughs> know something about where a good price point is. So I've kind of kept to that. And, um, you know, for myself, I don't really buy books that are expensive, you know, especially fiction. Nonfiction, I will pay more for. Um, 
But for fiction, where it's just you read once and you're done, I don't like to spend a lot of money on those. So, so I keep my price, my books lower for that reason, and hopefully that helps my sales be higher. But, um, but yeah, I I found I have more success with those slightly lower price books. Yeah, I think that's pretty pretty not uncommon. Um, especially in romance, you know, a lot of romance authors price their books at two ninety nine. So you're kind of on the expensive side. Oh. <laughs> no, you actually used to have them priced four ninety nine. When did you change from four ninety nine back down to three ninety nine? It's when I started following Montlake Romance and realized that Amazon was doing all their books at three ninety nine, and so I dropped mine down and my sales went up. So the numbers of sales, I'm not sure if I could say my overall intake went up but to me i'd rather have higher numbers than you know i mean i yeah so if the amount's going to be the same i'd rather have higher numbers yeah yeah that makes sense yeah more readers rather than fewer um okay so we're going to transition into diy stuff you've you've mentioned that you make your own book covers um and um etc things like that we can get into that a little bit here but um for example, you and I, uh, we swap manuscripts and we have for several years now, which by the way, I appreciate. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> um, what is the editing process you go through for each book? Um, and any advice to newer authors who'd like to find someone to swap with? Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to find those people you trust. You know, I, I felt like I had to go through a few different, you know, I joined, I think joining a group, like, the indie author help group or, you know, some writers group um, is a great idea because it introduces you to a lot of authors. And that's how I made so many connections in the beginning. And then I would switch with different people and, um, and, and I gradually kind of found those who um, were a good fit for my books, you know, and hopefully I'm a good fit for theirs. And um, so I've, you know, since developed, you know, a little group of people, a network of people that um, help me out when I publish and hopefully I help them out with their, when they publish. I do have um, a good friend who's really, really good at um, proofreading and we used to swap manuscripts all the time, but she's since gotten out of publishing. She no longer writes. And so now I pay her because I've come to trust her. So now I pay pay her. And, um, I don't know, I try to keep everything even with those authors I switched with. And I, I know Andrea, I am so in your debt right now, <laughs> so, which is really funny. So because you, you better write like, a lot of books. <laughs> you write like two books a year and I write four books a year. I know, so I you don't just... know how you're in my debt. <laughs> I still feel like I am anyway. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so what is the editing? What's the editing process then you go through? So you write the book, then you, what do you do at that point? How many times do you revise it? Um, so, oh, a lot of times. Um, so I go through it myself, uh, like three or four times, probably, uh, you know, and a lot of revisions I do as I'm writing, you know, I'll write so much a day and then the next day I'll go back and edit the chapter I wrote yesterday and um, before I start writing new and so I do some things as I'm going along. And then at the end, you know, I read through it once or twice and then have the computer, Andrea taught me this, have the computer read it back to me because that picks up so many more little edit like, things that you would, your eyes would just glaze over. 
And, um, and then I send it to a couple people. Um, Andrea is one of them. And um, people who will give me feedback on content mostly, you know, and they always find, you know, they always um, find the little typos too. I'm always grateful for that. But um, in the beginning, it's mostly content issues, you know, like make sure the characterization, characterization is all um, seamless and, um, and there's no major problems with the storyline or anyway, Andrea catches a lot of stuff in my books every time. <laughs> then after that, I make those revisions and then I read through it one more time and then I send it off to a couple people who proofread it for me. Um, so overall, I think I send it to about five people every time. And it's so interesting to me that um, when it comes to those little typo things, that all these different people, for the most part, are finding different typos. Like, it's so, like, I'll be doing one, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's a mistake, that's a mistake. And then I, I pull up the next person's um a cr um, critique or whatever. I pull up the next person's edit. Sorry, that's the better word. And they're different. They find the different typos. So for me, I like doing a broader thing because because of that reason, more more mistakes are caught. And then my audio audiobook narrator is awesome for my historical ones because as she's reading the book, she'll let me know if she finds any typos as well. So so yeah, through all of that. I feel like I get a pretty clean book. So I don't know, but I'm sure mistakes still get through. They always do. So it is funny because I, uh, after my editor goes over stuff, I also have just typo hunters to the, just readers that want early copies. And there'll be like some typos that everybody finds, like yeah. everybody. And then there's ones that like, you know, only one person found and you're always like impressed. That <laughs> I know. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> So what do you do for um, covers? Do you also design your own covers? Yeah, I do. I'm just, I like to be hands-on. And so I, I do design my own covers and I design them for a few other people too. Um, but it's just one of the things that I enjoy doing. Like I would rather design covers than write, but, um, but it's more fun for me. But, um, but yeah, I, I make more money writing. So I just, I like, I think it goes back to my traditional published days when um, I had no say in what my cover looked like. That really bothered me. Or if a book isn't selling well, I'm like, can we just try switching the cover? And I'm like, no, it's published. And I love that about indie author, you know, indie writing. There's been some covers I've changed. And um, if a book hasn't been selling as well, and sometimes it helps and sometimes it makes no difference. So I don't know. But yeah, yeah, I enjoy designing covers. So. I'm not like a professional by any means. Like uh, if somebody were to say, will you design my science fiction cover or fantasy cover? You know, I'd have to find really good cover art before, you know, it's not like I can. Anyway. Yeah, it does seem like some genres would be a little easier because you could find yes. like, one stock photo instead of having to like meld 10 yes. different things like for sci-fi you might have to. Yeah. Do you have any yeah, tips um, for... For, um, for cover design, like if they yeah, anybody who's saving money or trying to DIY it, um, yeah, I, I, I think the best thing they can do is go find 
examples of covers they really like the look of, similar to what, what they want. And then, you know, just spend a lot of time finding the right image. And, um, and I know Amazon has a cover design feature. I don't know if it's any good or not. But, but yeah, I think the hardest thing is, um, is if you don't know your way around, you know, a graphics program like Photoshop or Illustrator or something. Um, that's really helped me because I knew that program going in Photoshop and way. So, um, so yeah, if you know your way around a, a graphic design program, then I don't, you know, and you know the look you want, then I feel like it's, it's, you know, you just kind of copy, copy, you know, find a similar font, find a similar, I don't know, image or whatever, and just kind of, kind of make it look the way you want it to look. But, but I know there's some designers out there like um, Steve Novak, I think his name is. He'll design, he designs really nice covers and he'll do it for pretty cheap too, like hundred bucks a cover or something, 120. I don't remember what his, I don't know what his fees are now, but you know, you can get a really professional product for, for not, for not too much. So yeah, there's some uh, designers too that have like pre-mades up on their site. Yes, and I've actually exactly. known authors who are like see a pre-made that they love and then write a story to go with it. So oh, that's oh an really? Option. <laughs> yeah. So do they buy that cover at the beginning? So it doesn't, you know, I do always worry that they do. Some authors so are like addicted. The yeah, they're like, I got like 20 covers. You know, <laughs> I think it's an addiction. <laughs> well, that's awesome. That's a good idea too. Yeah, the pre-covers you can get for like 50 or 60 bucks some places. And I know Steve Novak does those too. So, so yeah, that's a good idea. So I don't know. I know covers are just one of the most important things and if you can't do it on your own or if you can't find a pre-made one then it's worth the money to spend on a good cover so that's pretty much what i was going to ask uh, lot, naturally lots of people are going to have different knacks for different handling different parts of the production process like i can do my formatting myself because it's all i, I was in it and i just I can do computer uh -huh. stuff okay. I can follow checklists like a pro, but uh, I would never edit my own stuff because I can't put a tweet together without an error in it. So uh, <laughs> when it all comes down to it, are there aspects of book production that you feel are more important and therefore more likely to maybe justify hiring someone to do? Yeah, for sure. Book covers, for sure, and editing, for sure, those two. Yeah, I will always pay for or exchange, you know, for good editing. Um, and typesetting, you know, I, I feel like, um, you know, I've seen all sorts of different, you know, more professional typeset books and, you know, ones that you can just tell they just uploaded it into some program and clicked, you know, submit. And I don't think, I don't think typesetting as, as important. I would focus mostly on covers and the blurb and, um, editing. So that's where I would spend my money. All right. And now conversely, are there aspects of book production that you think are easier than people think they are and that you think people could benefit from tackling personally? Um, I don't, I, I just like doing, um, I don't know. I think anything you can take on yourself or you feel up to tackling is a good thing. 
just because it's your book and you're going to care more about it than anybody else. So that's kind of why I like to do it, most of it myself. But um, the editing, I don't think anyone, anyone can do that all by themselves. You know, um, you just need somebody who doesn't know your story, doesn't know, hasn't had it on your mind um, to read through it because they're going to find things that, that you don't realize. You know, you know your character so well because you've been writing them and thinking about them for so long. But um, there's so, every book I write, you know, some somebody who's reviewing is always like, um, this isn't explained well enough. I'm not understanding this or, you know, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, that makes perfect sense. But then from somebody who hasn't read it, it doesn't. So I'm so grateful for people who are able to do that for me and make, it just makes a big difference. So. Yeah, it's true. It does. It does make a big difference. And, um, we are, as, as I'm going to copy, Lin, uh, take a line from Lindsay's book. We're coming up on an hour now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's perfect. <laughs> no, that's what we usually do. Most of our episodes are about an hour. Well, okay. Um, like an hour, two hours, maybe. <laughs> Just kidding. We do go a little bit over an hour usually. Um, but is there anything, any last comments you have, any final bits of advice you ha would have for any, especially beginner authors? Um. I, I think um, find a group of like find an author group. That's probably the, the thing that has helped me the most in the beginning was um, joining a group and going to conferences and meeting people and making friends. Um, because I think that's invaluable. Like the three of you, like how invaluable has that been? So great. And um I'm so grateful for so many authors who have helped me and hopefully I've, you know, helped others as well. So, you know, pay it forward when it comes time. But, um, but yeah, just network is huge and then don't be afraid. I mean, keep, keep plunging forward and keep writing. You know, I, I look at those books I wrote in the very beginning and compare them to now. And I have learned so much at a, as a writer and, you know, I'm almost embarrassed to read those first few books I published. So, um, you will, you'll just keep improving as you go along and keep trying and plugging away and it, it'll just get better and better. And, and I don't think you can gauge success on how well your first few books that you write do, you know, you have to stay in it. You have to keep going and, and eventually it starts paying off, I think. So anyway, but yeah, it's a slow, it's a slower start, isn't it? This, this author thing, it takes time to get in and get moving and get things going. So and learning, the learning curve's huge. So now you use the, the network word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> most, most, most authors are introverted, including yourself. If I'm, if I don't remember oh, yeah. it. <laughs> I am. I am an introvert. So, but, um, you know, online you, I think, I think that's why writers become writers is because they're not afraid to write and, you know, email is a thing and joining an author group online is, you know, you get to know a lot of people through email and through, um, you know, those discussions. So, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where, you know, my first critique group started. I didn't know anybody, you know, when I was in first in publishing, they were always like, get a group, get a critique group together. And I'm like, how, how do I find people? 
And, you know, it wasn't until I joined the group and I'm like, anyone need a critique, buddy? You know, I just kind of reached out a little bit and, you know, and a group of five of us formed and, you know, a few left, a few more came in and, and then it just graduated from there. So, so yeah. So I think, I don't know. I think those online groups are invaluable. Yeah. And a lot of the people from those original groups, a lot of those authors are actually still writing, you know, I mean, yeah. It's, it amazes me. They, they've just stuck to it. And that just, that just says how important it is to be careful with burnout and, you know, recognizing that success isn't going to come immediately and that you can possibly re, re, um, reach um, Rachel Anderson's success someday. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I totally understand burnout. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually was wondering about my next series. I'm like, what do I write about? I have no ideas at all and stressing there. And one of my readers reached out to me and she's like, just out of the blue, I got this email from her and she's like, I had this really fun story that, you know, entered my mind. And I just thought I'd share it with you in case you found it interesting. And it just got the ball rolling in my head. And um, I was able to come up with a whole new series because she was so nice to share an idea with me about a story she'd like to read, you know? And, um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm just really grateful for so many people. So, so now 50% of royalties are going to go to her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. No, you have to actually do the work to write it. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up now. Um, is there anywhere uh, you want people to go, like any books in particular? I mean, The Fall of Lord Drayson, that's, that's the name of Drayson, right? That's the Tanglewood series, right? Uh-huh. If anybody likes comedy romance, that is, it's about this guy who goes to kick a person off of, out of her house that she's been in, living in for a long time. And she's all mad at him and hating him. And he gets injured on the way out. And she takes him back to her house and then tells him when he wakes up that he is her servant. <laughs> yeah, he loses his uh, memory. It was kind of like a, a twist on Overboard, if anyone's seen Overboard. So Goldie Hawn was a movie oh, like, eons ago, but, um, but yeah. That one, that one is one of my favorite ones. But um, yeah, where can people find you online? Um, my website is rachelreneeanderson.com. And, you know, it's, our, it's R-A-C-H-A-E-L. It's a different spelling. And then, um, or just on Amazon can look up any of my books and um yeah awesome yeah well thank you so much for joining us today uh it's great interviewing you and talking to you again after like twenty thousand years of not talking to you except <laughs> over text and email, <laughs> <Through> email. <laughs> um thank you for having me yeah and thank you to our listeners uh, for tuning in and to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. And those of you who are listening, you can find us at sixfigureauthors.com with an hour six to leave a comment or a, or a question or come join our Facebook group because that's where pretty much everything happens. I don't think we've had somebody comment through the feedback form on the website since we created the group <laughs> because it's where everybody hangs out. Um, but yeah, so don't forget to leave a review for us and we will talk to everyone later. Bye. Bye-bye. So long, everybody.